But welcome to the well here at STSA. If you're just joining us today for the first time, we're in part three of a series called New Year, Less Me, okay? Which is the opposite of what we usually do at the beginning of the new year, right? Because usually it's every year is new year, new me. And every year we start off with the resolutions and the ideas and the goals that we want to set. And it's all about what we want for ourselves and how to make ourselves look better, how to make ourselves feel better, how to increase our own position, or kind of our life plan, where it is that we want to be. And usually the center of our year, our new year, is me. And what we talked about last couple weeks, for those who are here, we talked about just like the solar system. Okay, for years and years and years, they thought that the Earth was the center of the solar system. They didn't realize that the Earth went around the sun. They thought the sun and every all the stars went around the Earth. And as long as they had the improper center and the improper idea of what was in the middle and what was orbiting around what, none of the stuff added up. They tried to make calculations, they tried to make predictions, they tried to make scientific laws, and none of it worked out. Because you know what? Because they had the wrong center, then none of the mathematics, none of the physics made sense. And then when they figured it out, ah, actually it's the sun that's in the center, then all of a sudden things made sense. And I believe the same is true about our lives. As much as we think that my life is about me, and I'm the center, and everything revolves around me, and even God himself, God himself revolves around me in terms of he is there to do what I want, okay? As much as we think that, that we're the center, life just doesn't add up. It doesn't work the way it's supposed to. You read the stuff in the Bible and the promises and all the good stuff that Christianity promises, and it's simply, it's not there. You can't realize it, you get frustrated, and I say, it's not because the laws don't work, it's because you got the wrong center. That in, the, in, in actuality, we are not the creators, we are the creation. We are not the masters, we are the servants. We are the ones who call ourselves disciples and followers. We are not the ones who give the orders, we are the ones who take the orders. Said another way, another image that's used often in the scriptures is we are not the potter, we are simply the clay that he is molding. And what we're doing here in this series is we're talking about antidotes to that self-centeredness which is inside all of us. By our nature, we like things to be about me, 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 me. But like an infection, imagine selfishness as an infection that is inside all of us. When you got an infection that's inside there, you can't just kind of wait it out and hope that it goes away. It's actually the exact opposite. That infection is going to spread and grow and extend to different parts of you, of your body, unless you attack it at its roots. That's why they give us these things called antibiotics, or whatever it may be, the medicine that attacks it at the root. You can't just kind of wait it out and hope that it goes away. You got to attack the root. Well, the same when it comes to selfishness and self-centeredness. Hoping that it just kind of goes away is not going to work out well for you. What we're doing in this series is we're going to the root and we're trying to attack it. And we're trying to give the antidote and we got to take that antidote. It's not just once, twice, three times. We got to constantly be putting that in there, constantly chipping away at that infection because it's in there and it's not going to go away, at least not on this side of heaven and hell. So the first week, for those who were here last week, we talked about the first antidote is serving others. And last week, for you, if you were here, we talked about how to be the goat how to be the greatest of all time. Because Jesus said, I want you to be the greatest. But the way you be the greatest is not by serving yourself, but by serving others. And we talked about last week about how serving is not an action as much as it is a mindset. It's not based on what I do as much as how I identify myself and my willingness to be available all day, every day. The greatest ab ability when it comes to serving others is availability is what we talked about last week. So what I'm hoping, okay, kind of what, what we're, we were hoping would come out last week is that we would no longer, instead of being the guy who just adds to the trash pile and just kind of keeps on piling and piling it and making someone else's problem, we're going to be the guy that goes to the trash pile and we're going to be the one to take care of it. Instead of being the husband or the wife that just ma magically disappears when all of a sudden the diaper needs to be changed and all of a sudden you got a phone call, you got to make it, you got something you need to do, we're going to be the opposite. We're going we're gonna to go into that, and we're going to say, that's me. That's my turn, okay, because we're going to want to serve others. We're not going to be the people at work, okay, who just care about themselves because that's the way most of our work environments are. You serve yourself. You care about yourself. Everyone else take care of themselves. We're not going to be those people. We're going to be the weird people who, you know what, we're, we're okay helping others. We're, we're okay putting ourselves in the second chair in order to raise other people up. We're going to be the people who come to church, and we're not coming to church just to be consumers. We're here to be contributors. We're here to lend a helping hand. We're not going to be people who are just worried about ourselves. 
We want to be great. We want to be the GOAT, greatest of all time. And the way you be the greatest of all time is by serving others. That was last week's message. This week, we're going to step two. And step two, the second antidote, is just as important as the first, but it's a lot less fun to talk about, or I should say listen to, and usually we resist a little bit more, and there we go, came back just in time. We're going to talk about giving today, and I'm telling you, I can see the faces right now, and I can read the minds. And some of you came today for the first time, and someone invited, and you're like, oh, I came on the giving week. Oh, I came on the week, and I'm betting that Blake's going to come around, okay, and they're going to start passing that clip. Everybody relax. Nobody's going to pass a collection plate, and if somebody does, do not put anything inside it because that's not from us here, okay? <laughs> because I don't want to talk about money today. This is not, just like last week when we talked about serving, you didn't hear me say, guys, we need to serve because, you know what, we need help on the setup team. Or you didn't hear me say, you know what, we don't have enough people to serve the coffee. It's not about a need from the church's perspective. It's about a need from our own perspective. This is not about what God wants from us or what the church wants from us, this is the exact opposite. This is all about what God wants for us. And what he wants for us, just like we talked about serving last week, not guilt, not duty, not obligation, but what he wants for us is a right-centered mind, knowing who is at the center and who is the one doing the orbiting. And you can't have a right center without talking about this topic of giving. This is what Jesus says here in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 21. Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So you see, according to Jesus, not my words, according to Jesus, pretty smart guy, knew, knew, pretty much knew what he was talking about. According to Jesus, you cannot... Understand the center of your heart and the center of your life without talking financial, without talking about your treasures. Because the truest indicator, again, not my words, the truest indicator of where your heart is at is where your wallet is at as well. And right, and we know this because this is what we say. Don't we say, put your money where your mouth is? Don't we say that all the time? Put your money where your mouth is. What Jesus is saying is the same thing. Saying this isn't about money. This is about your heart but you can't know your heart without your money. And I've always said, if you want to know what's important to a person, I got you right here. I can know important. I can look at two pieces of information, two pieces of information. I know exactly where your heart is. Two pieces of information. You want to know what those information are? I can look at your calendar and I can look at your credit card statement and I will know exactly what's important to you. I will know where your heart is because you can tell someone's heart by A, where they spend their time and how they schedule their time and then B, by where they spend their money. How we spend our money shows what is the sun and what is the earth. All of us work hard for our money, okay? And I'm not against that. I'm not opposed to having money. Having money is not a bad thing. Having money is a good thing. We are pro-money here at STSA, pro-money. But the question is, we work hard. We break our backs. We work long hours. Why? What's the purpose? To get money. But what's the purpose of getting the money? Why do I want more money? Is it about more comfort for me? More convenience for me? More ease of life for me? Is it about what I can look like and the image that I can portray and the clothes that I can buy and the car that I can drive? Is it about, you know what? Girls just wanna have fun. I just wanna have a good time. I just want entertainment and I wanna be able to have money so that I can spend my time doing whatever activity and I just enjoy, 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 enjoy. Every one of us, Serve something or someone. And Jesus said, you can't serve two. You can't have two masters. So my question to you, do you have money? And that's not a bad thing. And you want more money? That's not a bad thing. But what's the, ulti- what's the end game? You want more money to serve yourself, to build yourself, to invest in yourself? Or is it for a greater purpose, to build something greater than yourself? Again, this is not a what does Father Anthony want from us message. This is not a what does God or does the church need from us. You will not hear me talk about any of that stuff. This is not what God wants from us, but what God wants for us. And I will tell you this, my opinion, the number one characteristic, the number one characteristic of a godly person, the number one characteristic, okay, we talked about, we talk about being saved. What does it mean to be saved? 
Okay, and I always say you always inter, inter, interject salvation with healing. What does it mean that a person is healed? What does that mean a person is, 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 all, is growing spiritually? I will tell you the number one characteristic of a godly person, a healed person, a saved person, is generosity, is being a giver. And you say, why? Well, I'll tell you this. God the Father so loved the world. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God the Father so loved that he gave. Jesus himself, the son, once told his disciples, greater love has no man than this. Greater love has no man than this than to give oneself and give one's own life for his friend, to lay down one's life. The Holy Spirit, we call him his title. He is the life giver. You see, you can't be godly and not giving. You can't be like God and be stingy and take, and take all for yourself. Said another way, this has nothing to do with money. Giving has nothing to do with money. Giving has everything to do with godliness. I would say you can be generous and not godly, but you cannot be godly and not generous. You can be generous and not godly, but you cannot be godly and not generous. Like they say, what is it they say? You can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. Isn't that the expression? You can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. Well, I say it in a slightly different way. You can give and you can be generous and not be godly, but you cannot be godly and not be generous because God himself at his root is the philanthropic one, is the giver. And if we're gonna be his children, we have to learn to be givers as well. Here's what we're gonna do here today. This is, we're gonna talk about giving we're talking about money, but this is not a, no one's going to pass a collection plate. No one's going to ask you to increase your tithe or anything like that. We're talking about what it takes to be godly. We're talking about three mindsets, three ways that we approach giving. This is not about amounts. This is about mindset. Three ways. And I'm going to ask you to be honest. Um, no one's going no to ask you these questions. No one, I don't know how much money anybody gives, and I don't want to know that stuff. I'm asking you between you and God to be honest. You have a relationship with money. You have a relationship with materialistic. What is your relationship with the things that you work very hard to get? No collection plate, but each one needs to judge themselves. Three mindsets. The first mindset we'll call the bag mindset. And the bag mindset says this, it's never enough. It's never enough. Always need more. I don't have enough. I get a raise, that's not enough. I get another raise, that's not enough. Taxes never come back enough. It's never enough. Always need more, always need more. This is how the world trains us to be. And if you do nothing about giving and about selfishness, this is the natural state of affairs. Think about it. You don't need to teach a child to want more. Like I never have to go to my son and say, you know, dear Johnny, this is how you grab. Like you don't have to teach a child how to grab. What you have to teach him is the opposite, how to share, how to let go, how to be generous and how to be giving. Because it is so countercultural and against our nature. Let me ask you a question, okay? We're all gonna judge ourselves here. We're gonna be honest because you're not standing before me, you're standing before God. Do you have enough? Do you have enough? I have always believed that enough, and I'll put it in the famous air quotes, that enough is a moving target. That there is no state of enough. That as soon as you get close to enough, enough moves. And then you chase it, and then it moves. I'll give you an example. I'll just tell you my, my story, and I'm sure your story is the same. First job I ever got when I was 15 years old, sophomore in high school, I worked at Heckinger. Anyone remember Heckinger? All right, you were old if you remember Heckinger. Very good, okay. Heckinger was put, put out of business by Home Depot. But anyway, I worked at Heckinger. And my job was basically lowest of the low, okay? I didn't even have a title. It was just basically like, hey, guy. That was my title. It was, hey, guy. So some days, it was unload the truck. Some days it was help people put stuff in the whatever. I was also able to be a cashier, which of course I love because I was the easiest, but they only put me there when they really needed, you know, extra help right there. And of course I was the fastest, so I was the one who sped through the whatever. When I was a Heckinger, I was making $7 an hour. $7 an hour. Yes, $7 an hour. I still remember thinking one day I'll make it big. I want to be like Kenny who drove the forklift, okay? And Kenny who drove the forklift, man, he was making big bucks. And one day, one day, I'll be like Kenny, who can drive the forklift. And one day, actually, some guy taught me how to drive the forklift, even though I wasn't allowed, but that's okay. I didn't have a driver's license, but I drove the forklift once. And that was my dream. Never got to drive the forklift officially for money. Went to college. I got a job at Superfresh. Anyone remember Superfresh? All right, a couple of people remember Superfresh. It was a grocery store. Okay, I think it was more, uh, a little bit further south. It wasn't so much in this area. 
I worked at Superfresh. And when I was at Superfresh, I was living large. I was making $11 an hour. I was living the dream, all right? And again, my job, that was actually, I will say that was like my favorite job ever because what I would do is I, would un, I was in dairy department and I would unload the dairy trucks, okay? And I still, to this day, y'all don't believe me, come to my house and I'll show you. I still have my box cutter, okay, that I used to use to open up the boxes from 1995. But why buy a new box cutter since the old ones work still good? So I still got, that was my favorite job and I was making $11 an hour and I was loving it. But then you know what? I remember looking at one day, Doris behind that cash register, man, she was salaried. And I thought, man, if I could be salaried, man, could I get paid even when I'm not here? And enough was now $23,000 a year. That's how much Doris was making. I wanted to get to Doris's level to be salaried, $23,000 a year. Enough, moved. Eventually graduated college, got a real job. And I was filthy rich. I was making $39,000 a year. That was my first job out of college. I was filthy rich. I'm like, what am I going to do with $39,000 a year? I'm still going to live at home. My mom's still going to make me lunch every day. Like, I'm going to be just, I'm going to be like blowing my nose in $100 bills. Like, that's how I'm going to live. That's was my mind. But then what happens? You graduate, you start to live life, you buy stuff, and all of a sudden that 39 isn't as much as you thought it'd be. And Uncle Sam comes in, and it's really nothing left over at the end of the day. And I remember thinking, 50. I would love to make 50. And if I made 50, man, that'd be more than enough if I made 50. Then I met my wife. Enough. Made a big jump at that point in time. Because now all of a sudden, a night out on the town was no more just a big gulp on a Slurpee, okay? Like, the night out would start to cost a little bit more. So all of a sudden, enough, moved very far away. And then all of a sudden, we got married. There goes enough. And then we got a house. And then we got a kid. Then we got another kid. Then we got a dog. And all of a sudden, enough just kind of keeps moving and moving and moving. And I'll tell you this. If you don't believe me, ask yourself this question and be honest. How many of us today, ask yourself this question, how many of us today are making a salary that at one point in time, we said, if we ever make this salary, we'll be set for life? How many of us are making an amount of money that at one point in time, we said, if I reach that point, ah, uh, that's enough. Issue is not money. Issue is mindset. Gallup polls did a survey and they asked people, how much does it take to be rich? How much? They ask people, how much would you have to have, how much would you have to make in order to consider yourself rich? People whose salaries was under $40,000 a year, under $40,000 a year, gave an average of $74,000 as a salary. So if they made less than 40, they said, if I get to 74, then I'll be rich. That'll be more than enough. People whose salaries was at the $50,000 mark, their number was higher. Their number was $100,000. And people who made more than $100,000 said that in order to consider themselves rich and have enough, wasn't $1 million, wasn't $2 million, the number was $5 million. Look at this. It turns out that $1 million just doesn't cut it anymore. In fact, quote, rich today requires at least $5 million, according to a new survey of affluent households defined as those with investable assets of $500,000 or more. When asked how much money it takes to be rich, 45% chose 5 million, 25% selected 25 million, 8% picked 100 million. Only 22% said 1 million is enough to be rich. Enough never stops moving. As soon as you get it, it moves. And then you get it, and it moves. And I'm telling you, you got people making under 40,000 said, if I ever get to 74, I'll be rich. And I'm telling you, there's people in this room who make 74 and don't consider themselves rich. And the people who are making 50 said, if I ever get to 100, and I'm telling you, there's households here who make more than 100 and don't consider themselves rich. Because rich enough is a moving target. It's not about money. It's about a mindset. And the bag mindset is the one that says, I need more. Don't have enough. I wish I could help. I wish I could spare. I wish I could give. But it's just my, my, my needs right now. Bills are piling up. I got problems. It's never enough. There's always, you know, next month. No, no, no. Next year. No, no, no. And then eventually it's next lifetime. Okay, by the time we actually get there and we never actually end up getting there. The problem here is not the amount of money. The problem is the mindset. The bag mindset is a mindset that says, 
It's all mine. It's all mine. It's all mine. Whatever I got, it's mine. And I need more, and I need more, and I need more. And as much as I think everything I have is mine, I will always feel like I don't have enough. Not because I don't have enough, but because it's the wrong center of life. The prophet Haggai, Old Testament, wrote at a time to the people of Israel when they were having this, this wrong mindset about their money and about their finances, where it was all about me and it's all mine and I need more and I don't have enough. Basically, he wrote to the time when the people of Israel, okay, they lived in their land and then they got, because they disobeyed God's law, they were taken captive by the bad guys and they were pulled into captivity. And this was a horrible thing that happened. They burned the city, they destroyed the temple, like they destroyed everything. The people suffered, many were killed, and they were captured living, those who were alive were captured living as slaves. And then, miraculous out of miraculous uh, turn of events, God opened the door for them to come back into their land, okay? An event that only could happen from God. God opened the door for them to go back and rebuild the holy city and rebuild the temple and rebuild their life here. But when they got there, some of the people, most of the people, they arrived and they came, to this, came back home. And they were more concerned with their own homes than God's home. They were more concerned with their own lives than what God said to come back and rebuild his nation here. Haggai the prophet says it this way. Haggai chapter one, verse four through six. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Anytime you hear God say, consider your ways, you pause. Consider your ways. Is it time for you to build your own house while God's house lies in ruins? Goes on. It says, you have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but you do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put into a bag with holes. Ouch. Problem, not the money. Problem is the mindset. Problem is these people thought that everything revolved. They were the earth thinking they were the sun. And they were thinking that God was there to help build their kingdom and their house. And it was all me, all mine, all mine, all mine. And the end result, they worked, they worked, they worked, and they never had enough. It was like it says right there. They put all that money into a bag with holes at the bottom. And I'm going to ask you this, and you're judging yourself. No one judges you. You judge yourself. Do you, can you relate to this? Some of us, if we're honest, we can relate. We work, and we work, and we work, and we kill ourselves, and it feels like no matter how much we bring in, there's a hole at the bottom of that bank account, isn't there? Because it's never enough. And it's one problem after the other. And we get more, and we get more, and we get more. And we feel we're more in need, and we're more in need, and more in need. And be honest, judge yourself, I'm not judging you. Maybe, maybe our problem isn't financial. Maybe our problem is in here. Maybe we don't have enough. Maybe the problem isn't our salary. Maybe the problem isn't our expenses. Maybe the problem, we got the wrong center. You can't mention the word bag without thinking of he who held the most famous bag in the scriptures, which is who? Judas. Judas held the money bag. Judas is all about that bag. And Judas, literally, I'm speaking figuratively, literally for Judas, betrayed Christ for a bag of money. He betrayed Christ for a bag of money because it was always about Judas. And it was always about, well, well this is what, what I think and my plan. And I need, and this is what we should be doing. It was all about me. And it was so focused on, he had the wrong son and the wrong earth. He thought it all revolved around him. And he literally, Judas knowing that Jesus was God. Okay, Judas, Judas wasn't, wasn't ignorant. Judas didn't make a mistake. Judas knew this is God. But he's not, he's not fitting into my orbit the right way. He's not revolving the right way around me. And Judas sold him out, literally, for a bag of money. Ask yourself if you have that bag mindset. Let's move on to the second one. Second, we go from the bag to the basket. The basket is I have more than enough. I have more than enough. God has blessed me, and I have more than enough. In the Old Testament, 
If you ever read the Old Testament, you'll know that there's many laws in the Old Testament. And the reason why there's so many laws is because God was the first of everything. So before there were doctors, God was the first doctor. So God gave them a law. If somebody's sick, you take them over there. Somebody has this, you put them over there. It's how you treat it. God was the first doctor. God was also the first government. He said, if somebody does this, somebody kills, you do this to them. Somebody steals, you do this. Someone does it by accident, you do it like this. God was the first one who established like a judicial system. God was the first one, by the way, who advocated for women's rights. God was the first one who said, no, 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 you don't treat the women like a slave. The women have rights as well. And you know what? If they just gave birth, you give them a break. And when they're going, you give them that. So God was the first one. And God was also the first one who advocated for the poor and the homeless and the traveler and the stranger. He was the first one who said that the rich can't keep on getting richer at the expense of the poor and the rich have to help the poor. That's what God said. And he did that in Leviticus chapter 19 with one of the, the strange laws, which is called the law of gleaning, gleaning. And it says this, Leviticus 19. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest. And you shall not glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather every grape of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. How do you feel about this rule? How do you feel about this? You own a piece of land. I own this piece of land. It's mine. It's not yours. It's mine. I'm the one who works on it. I'm the one who slaves for it. I'm the one who invests my own stuff in it. Like my kids, like it's my land. And on that land, I have trees that bring forth, you know, fruits, you know, the coconuts or watermelon or whatever it may be, or cucumbers. And I'm bringing forth that stuff and that's my income. Like I don't have a salary. I have X number of cucumbers. I trade them for that guy. So that's my salary. I worked hard for them. And what God is saying when you go to collect your salary, when you go to collect your fruits, don't fill up your basket. Just get like the middle piece, okay? Don't go all the way to the edge. So my land goes all the way to there, just stop here. Well, but that's mine. Just leave it. And don't go all the way to that edge over there. But that's mine. Just leave it. Leave it for who? For anybody who it doesn't belong to. Why would I leave it for them? It doesn't belong to them. How do you feel about this? How do you feel? If I'm your boss and I say, I'm going to start paying you in cash, I'm going to put your salary on a table and I'm going to spread it out on the table. But you know, and God comes and says, just take whatever you can in one grab and uh, leave the rest. Why would I leave the rest? Why would I leave my money? What would you be thinking if you were the Israelites and heard this rule? Be honest, what would you be thinking? Put yourself in the Israelites' mindset. This is Leviticus 19. They had just come out of slavery in Egypt. They've been there for 400 years. They didn't know what was going on in the free world. And God says to them, when you get there, don't take all the harvest. What would you be thinking if you're the Israelites? But God, like, what if? What if I don't have enough? What if it runs out? What if I get injured and I can't work anymore? What if I get, uh, if we get captured by another country or another, like, what if God, what if, what if, what if? And God's answer, you should leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord, your God. What's he saying there? He's saying, you got enough? I got you covered. I got you this far, didn't I? I got you out of Egypt, didn't I? I crossed the Red Sea, didn't I? I fed you bread from heaven, didn't I? I got you water from a rock, didn't I? I got you. Leave the little grapes, leave the little piddly grapes at the end, I got you. Don't worry about that last coconut over there. I got you. You're going to fight for that cucumber over there? Leave it. Trust me. I got you covered. It's not easy. It wouldn't be easy for you to walk away from your salary. It wouldn't be easy for them to walk away from their harvest. But God says, commanding them, this is not about money. This is not about the grapes. This is not about the watermelon. This is about your heart. This is about you knowing who's at the center and who's in the orbit. Who's the sun and who's the earth. The basket mindset says, even though I want more, I want as much as I can, I want to grab all the harvest, I'm willing to share. I'm willing to share because God has blessed me with enough. I'm willing to share. You know, if you, if you, if you bring up the expression, if I say basket, okay, basket, there's an imagery that comes with it. Like I said, that's how people, when they would collect their harvest, they would take a basket and they would, you know, pick the fruit and put it in the basket. Pick the fruit, pick the wheat, pick the whatever, put it in the basket. 
There's different ways you can fill a basket. You can fill it a nice way, or you can stuff it full. And to give you an example, okay, earlier I mentioned Slurpees. There's different ways people approach a Slurpee machine. And you have in your midst an expert on how to maximize your finances at the 7-Eleven Slurpee machine. There are some people, we call them suckers, okay, who just go to the machine, get the cup, fill it up, and then go pay for it. Those are rookies, okay? Those are novices. Those are untrained, ignorant fools. Because the proper way, as you all know, if you're a connoisseur as I am of the Slurpee, you go, you fill, and then you, you shake a little so it settles in there. You get a little more. You shake a little more this way. Maybe you stir. Okay, maybe if you're like, you know, the cool, like you, you, you fill it at an angle, okay, so it doesn't create as much of the bubbles, right? Like if you put, tilt the cup a little bit, not as much of the bubbles, and you stir in there, maybe you take a sip. I don't know, it's up to you, but I'm saying you maximize that thing. And then you don't just put a lid and go pay for it. Then you put the lid and fill it up some more. By the time I'm done with that slurping machine, I want that sucker like a volcano that is erupting over the sides, and I'm licking I'm licking that lid as much as I get, as slurpy as I get in there. That's the way you would collect a harvest too back in the day. That's the way some people would collect it. It's the same way you think of like, you're like stuffing your suitcase. You don't just put the clothes in and zip it. You step on it, you sit on it, you get as much in there, and you want more shirt, one more socks, one more, you fit it in there because they're charging you per batch. So you're stuffing it in there. Well, what God is telling us here, he's telling the people this law of gleanings, He's saying to them, there's two ways to fill up your basket. I'm telling you, go easy on the basket. Be generous. Don't be a stuffer. Don't get every last drop from your harvest. Take what you can, fill the basket, go home and leave the rest for others. And if you do, if you do, your basket will be stuffed, but it will not be stuffed by you what he says right here in New Testament, Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure. Think of the Slurpee now. Press down, shaken together, running over that plastic lid. That's what God says. You give and it will be given to you. Good measure, press down, shaken together, running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. So my question to you, who you want to fill your basket? Who you want to fill your basket? We're going to stuff that bad boy full. I agree. We're going to get as much out of it as we can. You stuff it? Or you let God stuff it? Can't be both. So I give you the basket. And I say to you, trust me. Just get the majority of it. Leave the edges. Leave it for the poor. Don't go all the way. Leave it for the stranger. And I promise you, when you get home, you're going to have more in that basket than you realize. Said another way. Acts chapter 20, verse 35, words that we all know. Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And this is a verse, to be honest, I can't explain. I cannot explain it. I can only tell you what it means, okay, but I cannot explain how it works. What this is saying right here is there will be more blessing in your life when you leave, okay, blessing, you would think that the more fruits is more blessing. No, actually, the more you leave, the more your life will be blessed. And God actually will do more with 90% of your harvest will actually provide you more. Can't explain it. 90% of your harvest will actually bless you more than 100%. Can't explain it. 90 cucumbers will bless you more than 100 cucumbers because the 90 with God is better than 100 without God. Can't explain it. Don't ask me to explain. But it's a mystery. So again, I'm asking you the question. You're being honest with the answer. If you say, I'm lacking blessing in my life, Maybe it's related to your giving. I'm not judging, but I'm saying we got to be honest. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Good measure stuffed down. When we give, God gives. So what I'm saying is if I look at my life, be like, no blessing. I need more. God, please bless me. And I would say, maybe you need to ask yourself. Again, you don't have an answer to me. Maybe it has to do with your generosity or lack thereof. Maybe it has to do with financially. You're at the center and God is on the orbit as opposed to the way it's supposed to be. And I'm telling you, you're in the center, life's never going to work out. And by the way, when I say not looking for more blessing, 
I'm not just talking about financial. This is one of the big mistakes sometimes we make. We think that, okay, God, I will give and God will bless me. And we think that blessing should be financial. God absolutely does bless financial at times. I'm not saying he doesn't, but you know what? The cheapest, listen carefully to me, the cheapest blessing God can give you is financial. The cheapest, the least valuable, the lowest on the totem pole, the lowest thing that God can give is financial. Because I'm telling you, what causes problems in homes is not just financial. What causes problems in home is lack of blessing of God. Which is better? More money in your house or peace of God, which surpasses all understanding? Which one you want? What's better? You need more money in your bank account or you need joy in your heart that no one can take from you? We think in terms of we limit God to blessing us with just money, but I'm telling you there's a lot more valuable things. God wants to give love. God wants to give peace. God wants to give joy. God wants to give unity. God wants to give fellowship. God wants to give love in a home. God wants it that your kids in your home love you. That's what God wants to give you. Kids that love you. God wants to give you kids that you actually like having around. Like God, that's what God wants. That's blessing of God. And those are things that you cannot put a price tag on. No amount of money can take it. But that's the blessing of God. We say with this verse here, this is a good memory verse. If you, you want to be more generous, Look at Proverbs chapter 11. Take the second half of it especially. Okay, verse 24 and 25. There's one who scatters, yet increases more. See that? I don't get it. There's one who scatters, he increases more. I don't get it. There's one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. You see what he's saying? One who scattered, he had more. One who withheld, he had less. And as he explains it right here, this is a good memory verse. The generous soul will be made rich. The generous soul will be made rich. And he who waters will also be watered himself. If you keep everything that you got, and it's all mine, you keep it all, not willing to share, it's mine, that's you, then all you got, all you got. If you're willing to share, you open the door to God's blessing in your life. And I'm telling you, in the end, can't explain it but that's the better route. And that gets us to our last one. We went through the bag, all is mine. We went through the, the basket, willing to share. And we wanna to get to ultimately, this is where we get to by the end, is the barn, which is God is everything. God is everything. God is everything and I'm not living for stuff. I'm living for him. Whatever I have is his. All that I have is his because that's not the center of my life. That stuff, man, that's just a means to an end to get to him. And if he gives, if he takes, it's all about him, not about the stuff. Proverbs chapter three, verse nine. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Now we're not talking about filling a basket. Now we're talking about filling a barn and overflowing that barn. And the key to the filling of the barn is the first fruits. Let me ask you a question. Why does God make such a big deal of first fruits? Like what, what the rule was, okay, when you have a harvest, the first fruits, meaning the first of the, the first batch goes to God. Why first? Does it make a difference if it's first or second or third or fourth? Like why is it that it was like when you have animals, the firstborn of the animals, the firstborn of the children. Why is it that we, on the first day of the week, we gather to worship the Lord? Why the first day of the week? Why is it that, you know, we were taught when we were kids, the first moments of your day we want to offer to God? Why is it that when, when we started working, again, this is what we were taught, I don't know if you were raised the same way, I was raised that your first paycheck goes to God. You start a new job, the first paycheck goes to God. And then after that, you give 10%, but the first one goes to God. Here's my question. Why does it make a difference if it's first or not first? Like in the end, if I give God the seventh paycheck, like in the end, it's the same paycheck, right? Like if I'm gonna give God, what difference does I make him if I give him the first paycheck or the second or the third or the fourth? Does it make a difference? Is the issue money? If the issue was money, the answer is no, it makes no difference. But I've been telling you from the beginning, the issue here is not money. The issue is heart. And does it make a difference in heart if it's first or seventh? Absolutely it does. Parents, y'all get this. Parents, I never understood this. Then I became a parent and I understood this. You ever seen a parent pull out his or her wallet, give the kid money to buy themselves a present, to buy a present for them. Have you seen this? So here, son, here's $10. Go buy me a present for Christmas. You ever seen this? This is 
makes no sense. Like, it's my money. Like, why would I give you money to buy me a present? Logically, makes no sense. I just buy it myself or just make it even just, I don't want the stupid thing anyway. Parents, why you give your kid money to buy you a present? Is it about the present? What's it about? It's a principle. You're trying to teach a lesson. What's the lesson? The lesson is, I'm the parent, you're the child. I have given you everything. I gave you life, gave you food. Your existence is 100% dependent on me. Stop being an ingrate and honoring me. Because it is good for you. It is good for you to realize you should honor me. It is good for you. Not good for me only. It's good for you to realize who I am and who you are. God says the same thing, except the ingrate piece. Maybe he doesn't say that. But God says the same thing. God says, I'm happy to bless you. I'm happy to give you everything. But make sure you give back the first fruits. Why God? Why did you just give it to me to give it back to you? Like, just keep it. Call it even. No. It is good for you to know who I am and who you are. It is good for you. It is, to use the expression we say in the church, it is meat and right. It is meat and right that you honor me and that you know that I'm the sun and you're the earth. Not in an arrogant way, just like the sun would say to the earth, it is good for you to know you revolve around me. I don't revolve around you. I'm not being arrogant. I'm not telling you earth, revolve around me, earth. I'm not telling you that. I'm telling you you're the earth. I'm the sun. It's not arrogance. It's right. It's proper. You, creation, need to know creator. You, son, daughter, need to know father. Listen carefully. The minute you forget that I'm the sun, you're the earth. The minute that you forget that it's not about you, it's about me. The minute you forget that, you will suffer. Not, I will hurt you. Listen carefully. You will suffer. You will hurt yourself. You'll be doing a disservice to yourself and your home and your entire future. When you think it's about you, you are not hurting me. You're only hurting yourself. And I am trying to protect you. You don't believe me? Giving is about protecting us. That's what God, giving, when we give, we are protecting ourselves. Let me show you a passage in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Timothy says, or St. Paul says to Timothy, now godliness with contentment is great gain. Why? Because those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. Is St. Paul telling him, this is what I want from you? No, He's saying, teach people to be content because if not, they're only hurting themselves. They're drowning themselves and many people have gone that route before and you know that to be true from your own experience. Continues, for the love of money, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith and their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Is this what God wants from us? Or what God wants for us? St. Paul's asking for a collection plate? Or St. Paul is saying, I'm trying to protect you from drowning, straying, piercing, and many sorrows. <clears throat> I'll speak personally right now, and this is not like a showing off, like I'm the greatest in the whole wide world. I got lots of problems, but you know, I got some good things going on, so I figure it's more fun to talk about my good things than my bad things. Okay, so don't take it in, in any way more than that. One of the things that me and my wife do, okay, we believe in this principle of giving so much. We've always believed and I truly believe that God has blessed my life more than anything else. And one of the main reasons is because giving, I was taught from when I was young, the giving principle, like there was never a discussion with that. One of the things that we do is we make it our goal, like we're supposed to tie 10% to the church. And one of the things that we do, again, it's not judging, I'm just sharing. Our goal is not to stick to that minimum. Our goal is to go above that. Just like our goal with everything is not to say, what's the minimum amount I need to pray and just stay there? What's the minimum amount of Bible I need to get into heaven? What's the minimum amount of fasting? That's not the goal. The goal is not minimum. The goal is increase and grow and mature and take steps. So we apply the same thing to our giving. And our hope is that every year we go up in giving. And we've been able, thanks be to God, okay? We've always been able to increase. So if, our, if the salary goes up, okay, the giving goes up, but the hope is it goes up by more than 10%. So that, that percentage keeps on increasing up. 
Sometimes the salary doesn't go up. Sometimes the salary stays the same. And we kind of made a commitment that we're going to add, even if it's just a little bit, even if it's just like 50 bucks a month, we're just going to add 50 bucks a month. May not seem like a big deal. Okay. For, for, you know, you guys, you know, for most people, 50 bucks a month, that's like one night out, like one date night or whatever it may be us it might be a couple nights out because we go to places where you order by number of the meal number but whatever okay one night two nights like however it works for you it's not a big deal but you know what it is a big deal it's a big deal to us it's a big deal to our family it's a big deal for us because it's our way of saying god you first we second everything we have is not ours and if i can honor you with my words i will I can honor you with my time, I will. I can honor you with my money, I will. Because you, God, you're the sun, and I'm the earth. And I don't ever want to get this thing mixed up, because I know that I'm selfish. I know that I'm self-centered by my nature, and I'm scared to fall into that trap. So God, I'm going to be intentional. I'm going to be intentional. Every time you give me, I'm going to give back. And every time you give me, I'm going to to try to keep on giving and giving. And I'm going to try, of course, I'm never going to succeed, I want to outgive you, God. I want to give you more. I want to give you more. And then I know that in the end, you cannot outgive the greatest giver of all time, can you? You cannot outgive the one whose nature is to give. That in the end, no matter how much you give, no matter how much you give, you find yourself always receiving more. Let's go back to our barn. Malachi chapter 310. God says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this. Only time God says, try me now in this. Try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be, there will not be room enough to receive it. Giving is a mystery. And I'm telling you right now, I'm speaking about a subject that I can't explain, but I know I've experienced. Giving is a mystery. That when you give 90% with God, Greater than 100% without God, 1,000%. When you give, I can't explain it. But the one who hoards and keeps and grabs and all for himself, the one who has and keeps on bringing, that one will struggle to live at peace, will always have anxiety, will always have stress, whereas the one who lets go and has little will live and sleep comfortably and peacefully at night. I can't explain but I'll tell you this, it's not just me. Studies will show, you can go out there, you can find it for your stuff. Studies will show that people who are generous are more successful, live longer, and overwhelmingly more happy and more peace in life. Not because that the money is bad, but when you give, you open the door to God's blessing in your life in a supernatural, unexplainable way. Question for you. What unexplainable blessings are not being poured into your life? What wins, what victories, what barn-sized blessing does God want to pour into your life and you're short-circuiting his plan because your refusal to let go of what he's given you? I'll say it this way. When it comes to God's blessing, it's not about how much you're giving. Please don't walk away from this and hear about amounts. It's not about how much you're giving. Rather, it's about how much you're holding back. You will never find the blessing of God if you're the center of life in any aspect. If, you're the, if your time is all about you, if your relationships are all about you, if your money is all about you, never find the blessing. You'll never find the blessing of God if you're the earth, if you're the sun. Only way that the universe works right is the sun is in the center, earth is on the side. That applies in every aspect of life, including giving. So here's my challenge to you, and I'm done. My challenge to you is every single person here. My challenge to you, take a serious look at how you approach finances and giving. Take a serious, honest look. You don't got to answer to me, okay? And it's intentional. We're talking about this in January, not December, because if I was talking about this in December, it'd be end of the year push. It's not end of the year push, okay? There's none of that stuff. Take an honest look. Like I told you, me, we set our giving most people do it opposite. Most people get to the end of the year, how much I got left over, how much God blessed me, and then I kind of return the favor. I want to do the opposite, and I'm going to challenge you to do the opposite. I'm going to challenge you at the start of the year to say, you know what? This is how much, this is a statement of faith. 
This is how much I believe God is blessing me and how much I want to return to him. This is how much I want God to work in my home and in my life this year. I'll make a statement of faith. God, I'm going to give X this year. Actually, you know, I gave X last year. I'm going to go X plus $10, just $10. I'm going to go X plus $20 or whatever it may be. I believe in you and I trust in you and I know you'll take care of me. And this is the way that I'm going to practice it. And I'll tell you what I've been saying. I've been a priest now 18 years. I've been saying this for 18 years. No one's ever, ever, ever come back to me on this one. I'll say the same thing. I will tell you this. If you are not giving, I will tell you, start giving. Try it for two months. Start giving for two months. Two months. And if you do not feel the blessing of God in your life, I give you my word. Come to me. I will give you back whatever amount of money you gave. I've been saying that for 18 years. I don't have a big salary. I'm on priest salary right now, but I never, no one's ever come and asked for it. Maybe they're embarrassed. Or maybe, maybe they're not embarrassed. Maybe the blessing is actually there. Maybe what God said in Malachi chapter three, try me now in this. That's why I can say this because I'm not actually saying it on my own. I'm not saying it on my own. I'm saying it on God's word. He said, try me now in this. You give and see what barn-sized blessing God wants to pour in your life. Because in the end, you can be generous and not godly. You cannot be godly and not generous because God, by his nature, the number one characteristic is he is a giver. He is generous. He is the philanthropic one. And I guarantee you that if you follow in those footsteps, you follow in the footsteps of being a giving, generous person, then no matter how much money you end up with, I guarantee you, you will be rich. Feel rich in the end. Let's stand together for a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all the good things that you've given to us. And Lord, forgive us for so often focusing on what we haven't received and failing to, to, to acknowledge what you have given to us. I pray, Heavenly Father, that we who are made in your image can be like you in terms of our generosity and our giving nature. Help us, Lord, to let go of the things which we hold on to, and those those, those self-centered desires which are inside all of us and help us to practice not just serving but giving so you can, you can remove the root that's deep within inside all of us. We pray this in the name of your Son, the prayers of all of your saints. Hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil.